This episode has been brought to you by Notion. As a CMO Wild Apricot, I'm constantly asking my team questions like, how much is an email worth? How is that Google AdWords campaign performing? What's the ROI on that webinar we just held? At the business level, I'm asking about other metrics like, what's our CAC payback period? What was our net churn last month? And what was the average deal size for Q3 this year? These questions require multiple inputs from multiple different sources, often involving multiple people who have access in different places. With Notion, you can bring all your data together in one place. It connects with key tools like Jira, Mixpanel, Zendesk, and MailChimp. It allows multiple stakeholders to collaborate to generate key business reports. And most importantly, it gives you one hub for all your business intelligence data so that you always have a pulse on your business. Get started for free at www.usenotion.com. That address again is www.usenotion.com. And now on to the show. You're listening to How to SaaS, the number one podcast to grow your cloud software company with marketing, sales, and customer success in just 10 minutes a day. Each episode will feature a tip, hack, or secret to take your SaaS company to the next level. And now, here's your host and growth strategist, Shiv Narayanan. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode. This one has been a long time coming. As you may have noticed, we've been on a bit of a hiatus for the last few months and haven't put out any episodes. And the big reason for that is that we at Wild Abercrombie were actually acquired and it's been really exciting, but also super busy time as you can probably imagine. So actually what I wanted to do is uh, talk about the acquisition, what went into it, what the process is like, and give you a lot of the details that aren't usually shared. So in this episode, here's what I'll be covering. I'll talk about the acquisition and why it happened why we chose to be acquired by this particular company, how to build a business that is worth getting acquired in the first place, number four, what the acquisition process looks like from the inside and what kind of information do acquirers look at, what happens post-acquisition, which is the phase that we are in right now, and last but not least, the emotional side of acquisition. So as I go through the entire journey, I'll share what the experience looks like from me personally, from our, from our employee standpoint, from the acquirer standpoint, and even and from, even from our customers and, and the fears and emotions that come up there because I think that's the part of the story that doesn't get told enough. So let's let's start with the acquisition. Company that acquired us, their name, their name is Personify. And there were many, one of many companies that looked into acquiring us because we were on the market for about, since about end of 2016. And since then, we've been going through a lot of discussions and they were definitely on our short list of the people that we wanted to be acquired by. We were not going to sell Wild Apricot just to anybody because we wanted to find somebody with who we really shared a vision for our customer base, for the market, for our product, and Personify deeply aligns with us on that. But the difference between Personify and us is while they're a membership software provider, they serve the super high end of the market. So they serve the American Diabetes Association or the American Cancer Society, and we serve a down end of the market. So we're serving your local tennis club, your local professional association, your local social club, your local church, right? So the idea is for the two of us to collectively take over the entire market or the different verticals that we serve by serving the the upmarket side, the downmarket side, and everything in between, leveraging both of the products. And it was a really good fit in, in the sense that our products are uh, complementary and in, in that they do not overlap entirely. And that's one thing we really looked for when we were vetting companies that were interested in acquiring us is we didn't want to be acquired by someone with who we have been competing with. Well, first of all, uh, people that are trying to compete with us in, in down market, we're the number one provider, so that wouldn't have made sense anyways. But the second part of that is even if that were the case, then there's a 
the, a significant downside for the company that we work so hard to build. So for our employees, for our customers, because oftentimes in those scenarios, products get sunset or employees get fired, which is something that we didn't want. We wanted to find someone with who Wild Apricot could continue to thrive and build and serve our customers. And, and we could build out the vision that we have been building for the last last 10 years. Aside from that, there's a lot of financials behind the acquisition, which I, I'm not able to share simply because of confidentiality. But suffice it to say that our success was a big part of it with our 10 years of building an amazing product, which is ranked number one, our high NPS scores, our 20,000 customers and 110 employees. And on top of that, we were a profitable SaaS company that also has cash on hand. The other thing that's super interesting is the national organizations that Personify serves, many of them have local chapters who use Wild Apricots. So there's a huge opportunity for us to deliver more value to our respective customer bases by joining forces and and trying to deliver that value out together. And in the membership management or association management space, there's been a lot of acquisitions that have been happening recently because these softwares have been around for almost a decade or more. For example, Personify has been around for more than more than 20 years. And as with any market, as it matures, consolidation begins to happen. So we've had a bunch of acquisitions by other parties in this space, and there's two Two big conglomerates that are also acquiring companies. One of them is church-based, and they're acquiring all these church softwares, and they're trying to put them together into one big brand. And a big part of their strategy is actually, you know, finding overlapping software and sunsetting a bunch of those products out, which is something that we're not we're not going to do. And another one is also in the association space, but their their strategy also involves a lot of overlapping products. So. Uh, in terms of where the market is going, with this acquisition, we are now the elephant in the room that has the ability to serve all areas of the market, and and we have a strong footholding in each of those areas, which is something the other the other two conglomerates, if you will, in the market don't have because they have a lot of overlapping products, which now they need to find a way to cut costs and find synergies and those kinds of things, which instead we can focus on serving our clients and, and furthering uh, our mission. So that's what's really exciting about the acquisition for us. And we have really big plans for 2018 and 2019 to deliver value to our customers for growth for the business and all those kinds of things. And so it was it was a really good match for us. So now that that, that part now that you have the context of what the acquisition was and who we've been acquired by, I wanted to actually talk about you know, how to build a business that is worth getting acquired. And a lot of founders listen to this podcast. So I wanted to share just some high level points that made this acquisition process really great for us and also gave us a lot of power during discussions in, in that we didn't have to accept the first offer that we were looking at when shopping the business around. So Here's a list and I'm going to number them. So the first is having great unit economics. This is probably the number one thing companies look at is to see, do you have a business model that works? What is your cost of acquisition? What is your annual contract value? When are you breaking even on that cost of acquisition? Are you acquiring customers annually? And then is your growth rate steady? Is it a stable business? So from that entire perspective, they're vetting the business to see if the business model is broken or not, or if it can actually, if it's actually a successful model that can continue to thrive going forward. Because what they're doing is they are buying an asset at today's value and hoping that that asset appreciates, so that in the future they can realize a return in some way, either via EBITDA or in the form of a sale to uh, another another party. Right. So having great unit economics and the flip side of that is also having really healthy financials. So they're going to look at your growth rate and your EBITDA and your expenses and how are you, where is your spend going? Is it going into R&D? How much of it is going into growth? They're going to look into all of that. So 
After those two things, they're going to look at how good is the team. Uh, and I would say this is something that our former CEO, Dimitri Buterin, did an excellent job of doing is putting really great leaders in charge of every area of the business, which really comes out in acquisitions during due diligence is looking into are the leaders in, in this business the ones that are going to take this business to the next level. And that's not only are you acquiring the business, but you're acquiring the team. So on the product side, we have Evgeny, uh, who's our product leader. We have uh, Dimitri Ivanov, who was our CTO, but is now the GM of Wild Apricot. We have myself, who's leading growth. And then we have Sean, who's our CFO. And between the four of us, there was a really great leadership team in place. Uh, and that was one of the major selling points, which is that this business is not dependent on one person or one CEO to thrive. The whole team collectively can run the business to take it to the next level. And that removes a huge chunk of risk from the acquirer because they're not then there's not a key man insurance that you need when you're acquiring the business. And and the last thing I would say is is having a really good business with a bright future. Because during discussions, like like I mentioned, they're buying an asset at today's value, but the big hope that they're that they have is that this asset is going to appreciate. So really being able to paint a picture, not just based on some guesses, but having a real actual plan to say, look, three years out, whether or not we get acquired, here's how we see this business growing and getting to the next level. Here are the key initiatives. Here's what we think the impact of all, all those initiatives will be based on these assumptions. And we believe the business can grow to X amount of dollars uh, in three years based on that plan. And if they buy into that plan, then they know that this business has a lot more value to give still and and then it's worth buying right so we did a really good job of painting that picture and also helping them connect the dots on oh if they are going to plan this initiative for example we're going to be launching our own payment processor this year well that initiative is something that fits in with personifies plans as well and that's something that we can now synergize about and 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 leverage all of our technical expertise and find find opportunities to work together on uh, and leverage strategic partnerships or relationships to make that project come to life and deliver more value to our customers. And then collectively, that makes the value of the business jump much higher. So all those put together, good unit economics, healthy financials, a good team that can lead the business and having a good business with a bright future, all that put together is what paints that entire story that you have you have something here that is worth buying. And and obviously part of the good business is having a great product where you have customers and customers that love the product and want to stay with the product. And so I would say I would say actually on the product side, that's where the due diligence work comes in. And this is where we get to the third piece of this episode is what does the acquisition process look like and what kind of information are the acquirers looking at. So how this process works is we hired some representatives or an investment banking firm to put it out there that, hey, we are available for sale in the market and we are fielding some offers. And they end up using their network, their their list and, and connections to put it out there to say Wild Apricot is now available for purchase. And there's a base, almost like a base amount put out there. Like if you're interested, this is kind of what the buying price at the very minimum needs to be. Based on that, you begin receiving LOIs which is letters of intent, which say, okay, we're interested in buying Mild Apricot and there's like a price listed, but it's a preliminary price and it's contingent upon a bunch of things like due diligence. But then they send that LOI over and say, okay, we're interested in having a conversation. Once that LOI is received, there is a discovery call and a briefcase or a data room is shared with uh, the group that is that we're having the discovery call with. So on that discovery call, we will go through a very brief deck, brief as in at least, at least an hour long, where you're taking them through the entire business. Okay, this is our 
company. This is the mission we serve. This is our product. These are our customers. This is our acquisition model. These are our growth targets. This is how we're tracking towards them. All of those things. And you walk them through that on the discovery call. And each of the slides will have have data on it. So for example, if we talk about acquisition targets and how we're tracking towards them, well, there would be a spreadsheet with more details about it in the data room. So that data room is shared. And then after the discovery call, the interested parties would go in and analyze the data and see if everything matches up. And if, as long as everything looks good and they're still interested, then the process moves forward. So as the process moves forward, this is when you begin to have in-person presentations. So either they fly down here or we fly down to where they are. And we've had like many people come down to the Wild Apricot office here and we've flown down to different places like Washington and a bunch of places in the US um, to give in-person presentations, which are much longer. And those last about half a day to a full day was a dinner, get to know, make some personal connections and going really deep into that same type of a deck, but much more detail. And this is where there'll be a lot more questions because now people have had that discovery call and had access to the data room. So they've had time to process a lot of the data to be able to ask more poignant questions to say, okay, you've said this thing. What does it mean by this? What is the if you say you're acquiring X percentage of your customers using social media, well, what's the strategy to scale that up? And and how are you finding traction? And what is the exact play? Like they can ask that kind of a question or they can talk about financials and say, well, this expense on, on this financial statement, what does it stand for? Like, so where is that going? And this expense went up significantly. Or for example, we switched to AWS and we had to put in a bunch of one-time uh, expenses on the technology side to move our servers over to AWS. So um, what is the run rate of that? Is that going to stay as high as that? Or is it going to come down because we no longer have that investment? So there's a lot of detailed questions that are coming out there and a lot of clarifications and helping them catch up to understanding what the business is really about so they have a deeper understanding. And, uh, and during these presentations, it's really important. There's a huge prep time that goes into each of these presentations because they send a full PDF and a list of 10 sections or 12 sections where you have to prepare. Okay, in the presentation, you must talk about ideal customer profiles. How big is your total addressable market? Um, what is the go-to-market strategy for each of those verticals, etc. And then you'll talk about financials and we need, we need all these 10 things like cash flow and your income statements and all that included uh, for growth what are your projections and acquisition targets for product what is your NPS how are you tracking there how do you how are you planning your product roadmap how are the team members in the engineering team structured we have a office in Moscow like you know how how does that work remotely like there's a bunch of different topics that are covered during those presentations once those presentations happen and if the party is still interested due diligence begins and due diligence is a very long process it you know it starts off by saying oh, it might take a month but it actually goes much longer than that because there's actually four major types of due diligence first is the financial due diligence which is obvious and which most people are familiar with so this is where they'll get a firm like deloitte or eny to basically go through our entire financial statements to see if everything everything checks out and everything makes sense. Then you have due diligence of the business plans because there's a lot of presentations made and a lot of pitches made in terms of how the company's going to grow. And there's a lot of vetting done of like how realistic are those projections and can we hit those targets and what is necessary to make those business plans a reality. So for example, we projected out that we would be releasing a new plan in 2018 to go slightly up market, which actually just released a couple of days ago. So talking about, you know, on the product roadmap side, will this product be ready by which date and how many development resources are required and will it actually get done or will it get pushed down and, and based on when it's released, what will the financial impact of that be on 2018? And, and that's just one example. There's tons of other plans that need to be vetted. Third is the technical due diligence. And this is where product becomes more and more important is they're going to look at 
a lot of the code base. And similar to the way they hire ENY or Deloitte to do the financial due diligence, they hire firms to look through, to do due diligence on our code base, to look at the intellectual property, to look at is is this software secure? And and throughout that that process, basically what they're trying to vet for is, is the underlying IP or the product here worth acquiring as much as the business side of it is right um and then the fourth part is the legal due diligence so for example we have our offices in toronto we serve customers in the u.s and our development offices in moscow so legally like how do you structure the deal to make sure every all the legal entities now are bought by the acquirer so there's a bunch of different things to figure out just to know and, and to figure out like exactly how that transition will work and to understand all the different risks involved during the due diligence while all this stuff is happening, because due diligence takes a lot of time and a lot of external firms are involved, there's a lot of conversations with key employees about plans. So I'll start off with the first one, which is our CEO, Dimitri Buterin. One of the things that we made clear throughout the acquisition is that he no longer wanted to be at Wild Apricot once the acquisition went through because he had plans to work on some of his other initiatives and businesses and investments that he was getting into. So that, as that conversation was made clear, one of the big things we had to figure out through the acquisition is how will the business function now without our our CEO? And that's where our previous CTO moved into the general manager role as the GM of, of Wild Apricot, who would then be reporting into Personify's uh, CEO. So that's a structure that we came up with, but it can go many different ways throughout acquisitions. And then also there's conversations with all the other key leaders in the organization. So one for, for myself, my personal experience, me working with Eric, who is a personified CEO, building a personal connection there, uh, learning about their business. One, for example, great way in, way in which my role is growing is helping personify figure out marketing because in terms of centers of expertise we are very good at inbound and digital marketing and that's something that personifies weekend and they're very good at sales and outbound and and customer success and all like the sales driven organization and which is something that we can use so there's going to be a, a lot of cross-pollination that happens so making plans to figure out okay once the acquisition goes through how can we leverage our center of expertise to help the personify products and and how can we leverage personify sales team to deliver more growth for wild apricot so that we can start building synergies across uh, across our our different centers of expertise there that, then there's a lot of discussions about um, integration plans so there's a lot of different functions in the company there's there's product there's support there's marketing there's sales there's HR. For example, with HR, before we were two companies, now we're one. So there's so many different things that need to be figured out on the HR side. Like, what do you do with benefits? Do you move to the same provider together? What about hiring? Do you establish similar hiring pr procedures across? What about tracking and time off? And, and what systems do you use? And then for finance, like payroll and, and credit cards for, for, for key employees. And there's just like a bunch of things I need to figure out on the infrastructure side. So do we all use Slack or do we use, you know, Google Apps and, and and Google Drive for our documents. Like there's a lot of micro and then there's a lot of macro stuff. Like for example, with growth levers, all the plans that we have for 2018, well, how are we going to put all that together into action, leveraging all the different parties involved, right? So what's the contribution needed from Personify sales team for this upmarket plan that we're going for? So just a lot of discussions to figure out what's going to happen once the acquisition goes through, just so that we can start planning what will happen before it actually happens. Uh, and the last part that's happening during this acquisition process is um, once 
the deal closes, well, we need to inform people. Uh, and and not only like once the deal closes, but like a little bit before, we need to inform employees. So what is the key message that we want to deliver to employees about the acquisition going through? So from our side, we were very transparent with our with our employee base as the entire process was going through. Like, hey, we're shopping the company around. Here's the party that we're talking to. Here's why we like them. And just keeping that dialogue going to start talking to people. And obviously a lot of fears come out because, you know, employees are worried. Like, for example, our support team was worried, hey, will they move our jobs to Austin so that which is where Personify is located will they move our jobs there so that we have a combined support team and you know reassuring no of course not because our support is requires a, a level of expertise to be able to service customers because our product is very complicated so of course we're not going to move your move your jobs over you guys are valuable to the company and reassuring people there's fears about a culture because we have a very awesome culture here at Wild Apricot that we worked very hard we worked very hard to build over the last few years and so being acquired means that that culture can potentially change and and that can be very scary but then reassuring people that no we're not going to make drastic changes and also explaining things rationally about the acquisition to people that aren't familiar with what the process looks like right so from an acquisition from an acquirer standpoint the the last thing they want to do is disrupt something that's working like wild apricot is a very financially healthy company we have a great product for them to come in and change things drastically will go against their interests as well so explaining that to people and saying no these people want to work with us that's why we 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 were okay with them acquiring us they share our vision we want to work together with them it's going to be it's actually going to be great for everybody and a great career opportunity for everybody involved so really reassuring them of that and then and then also getting getting that message out to customers so once once the deal is finalized you know you establish a close date and as you that close date is finalized and sometimes well not sometimes well, that close date was moved multiple times over because we thought it would be one thing but then certain things weren't ready by then so we kept moving it you know one two days at a time and then eventually it got extended about two weeks out until finally we were like ready to announce it to the market to our customers etc so at on that close date well you want to put out a press release to say hey wild apricot has been acquired by personify and this is what it means for the market for our customer bases etc we personally put out a blog post to our customers saying hey we have just sold wild apricot as a business to personify but not to worry we're not going to be shutting down your accounts because one of the biggest fears customers have is if you if your business gets acquired well does this mean i'm going to have to move from wild apricot to personify the answer is no because we're completely different products and so no you're not going to have to move it's not going to change your life even a little bit all it really means is that we now have new ownership that's all so putting out that blog post sending an email to customers putting it on social media accounts to let our all of our followers know that this is what's happened and then dealing with a lot of the inquiries that come in from customers that have clarification questions about billing or or what this means for their website or, or whatever it might be so just dealing with all that the emotional side of acquisitions becomes very important as you get to that closing point. Once the acquisition goes through and now the deal's closed, there's a lot of post-acquisition work that begins to happen. Uh, I mentioned the integration work, that the planning that goes in pre-acquisition. Well, post-acquisition is when those key initiatives kick off. So, you know, we initially discuss in integration plans, okay, this is what's going to be required for these growth levers, but now it's actually time to put it into action so for example do we need to hire someone in toronto to help do some demand gen activities for the personify brand on the inbound side or do we need help from the sales team on the personify side to deliver on some projects and initiatives that we have planned here that would be one example another would be on that hr example of how to combine those things together so there's a huge project management spreadsheet with you know about 10 to 12 tabs where different areas of the business have a bunch of different projects to integrate the business together because 
even after the acquisition, in a way, you're still two different businesses and you have to slowly begin to integrate them together into into one so that process takes takes time and so we set milestones you know 90 days after the acquisition here's where we want to be six months out this is where we want to be a year out this is where we want to be so that's part of the integration plan uh, the second part is building more and more of those personal connections and and conversations for example the product leadership teams on both sides begin talking and planning things together. I've been working very closely with Scott, who's the head of sales at Personify and, and creating plans for our growth strategies together. And then at the same time, you know, closing gaps in on, on in terms of understanding on both leadership teams about both businesses. So what is Wild Apricot strategy? How how do we go to market? Why are we purely inbound focus? What are what does this mean for the overall brand? You know, so there's a lot of realities that are gonna be closed there. And then also understanding for us in terms of personify and their plans and how they imagine this acquisition being leveraged across the business and really delivering on all of that. One example of that is Personify has an annual conference called PersonaFest where they bring all their customers over and it's, it's an awesome event. They, there's educational content, there's content about the software itself. So we at Wild Apricot, since our annual contract value is so low, we don't invest in the conferences because they're super expensive. But now that we have Personify, well, that's something that we can invite our customers to. But it also means getting activities onto our OKRs that traditionally weren't there or didn't connect with our core strategy but now that we're part of a bigger brand it definitely makes sense to invest into that and it also helps add more value to our customers so talking about how something like that could work while all this work is happening since our acquisition went through at the end of q3 a really big piece of the acquisition is budgeting and and financial planning for the for the next year so what we start doing is all those growth levers that we discussed and pitched during the acquisition meetings and during the integration plannings, well, we have to start forecasting, well, you know, how much growth is this is this idea or this uh, piece of our growth roadmap going to deliver? And well, how much revenue can we expect and how much investment is required for us to realize that, that ROI from that growth lever? So for example, for that upmarket plan that I'm mentioning, well, we have the product roadmap investment. Okay. And then let's say it launched two days ago. So January of 2018. Well, how many people do we need to now begin selling this plan? What's the go-to-market plan? Do we need to do more paid media? Do we need more content? How, how are we going to get those leads? And once we get those leads, how are they passed off to the salespeople? There's a bunch of stuff to figure out. And that also means that asking for more budget, hey, I'm going to need more paid advertising dollars so that I can deliver on this particular growth target. So we have to put that all into the financial planning until we we have a final budget for the year across all of our growth initiatives to say, okay, we need this much more marketing spend. We're going to deliver this much more growth and now getting that budget cleared. And Personify is actually owned by a private equity firm. So that budgeting process has many stages where internally at Wild Apricot, we'll finalize our budget into a first draft. Then we will share it with the Personify leadership team. And there's a bunch of strategy meetings there around every growth initiative and what's required. And there's adjustments made to that financial plan. And then the third level is presenting the financial plan across the whole business to Rubicon and the board to see if there's agreement there. And then once that's approved, we're ready to go and the green light is given on all the plans. So that's kind of the process that's almost complete now, even though we're into January, we're almost done. And but it's like it's the plan has been pretty much finalized for the last last month or so. It's just getting it fully greenlit is, is where we are right now. So we've started to to put all of our growth plans into action. So for example, we knew we needed four new hires for uh, our acquisition side to deliver on that 
on on a bunch of our growth initiatives. So we've begun hiring those people already, and we're going through a bunch of interviews and all that, put the job postings up. So there's there's that work on the financial planning for the growth side, and then the other piece is there's the growth rate and the um, growth plan side, and then there's also planning for EBITDA and and uh, you know private equity owned firm, EBITDA becomes very important because when you're operating a business and a great way I've heard this described is when a lot of businesses are operating on intuition. So you do what you think is right for the business, but the business is really not professionalized. When you enter this kind of a world where you have uh, savvy financial investors who really, who have a deep understanding of your business because they've also been operators or been involved in the SaaS world for a very long time. Well, they start to ask questions that previously in your business weren't asked as often, right? So EBITDA is one of those things because your profit margin may be something that you sacrificed for a long time because you were focused on growth, 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 right? So that's the question that's a new thing in our world is really focusing on, you know, that even though we've been profitable for a few years now, how do you do a really good job of Keep maintaining a healthy financial business so that you can continue to deliver value to your clients long term and to your employees so that you can continue operating a sustainable business. So those conversations begin to happen to see, okay, uh, operationally, where should our investments be going to yield the highest return? How can we rebalance our, our investments to, to deliver the highest rate of return to our customers, to our business, to the investors, everybody involved? So yeah, that's that's the whole, that's where we are right now. Obviously, this process is not complete. It's going to take, you know, another year for me to learn a lot more through this. And I'll definitely do another episode to do more of a reflection as we go through the rest of this journey. But it's been, it's been super exciting exciting and interesting so far and also very challenging because I think it has really added a new dimension of operations to the, to the to the whole business which we didn't have in the past and I think as more of you you know so many founders listen to this podcast as, as you guys encounter this and I think the VC world is different than the private equity world but just having investors can add a level of accountability across the business that wasn't there in the first place and I think that's really exciting and the part that excites me the most is the idea that we are now part of a bigger organization where we can deliver a lot more value to our customers and execute on a lot of our growth plans that we've been putting into place over the last couple of years. So now like 2018 is where a lot of those plans are going to hit the payment and, and see the see the light of day and, and really be tested to see where our assumptions, our plans, our initiatives, the forecasts that we made, are they actually going to hold true? So that's really exciting. And from the employees and customer side, you know, after that initial phase of fear and uncertainty passes, and everybody really just also starts to see how exciting of a time uh, it can really be. So it's just really great for the business all around. Um, so yeah, that's it, guys. It, it's a very, very fascinating journey to go through, and I'm still going to be going through it. I'm still not through it, so there's there's a lot more. Learning learning to come. Uh, but I definitely I just wanted to jump on the episode and, and, and share what I've learned so far and really give a real take. There's there's no edits in this episode. It's really what's been in my head for, for a few months as I've been going through this. And I wanted to just share that raw emotion with you guys just to show what it's like. And because I'm, I'm sure a lot of the listeners in this episode will go through this in the future and maybe even have and can identify with that. So I really hope this episode helped you guys with some learnings and, and will help you in the future. And that's it, guys. Thanks for listening that's it for today's episode guys thanks for listening please be sure to subscribe on itunes and to check us out at www.howtosass.com and we will see you next time